Good morning. I'm glad to see everyone that is here, uh, especially those of you that are here with us that are visitors. Uh, we are deeply appreciative of your presence and certainly honored that you're here. Um, I think I warned some of the members of this congregation, you're going to be stuck with me today. I did the Bible study. I'm doing the lesson this morning, and I'm doing the lesson this afternoon, so if I don't do good this afternoon, you know, you're going to have to deal with me again. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, God told Moses to see to it that you follow the pattern seen on the mountain. And we have done over the past couple of years, from time to time, lessons that demonstrate the pattern God has for something in the Bible. And indeed, the Bible is a book of patterns relating to moral laws. Um, God has shown and commanded for us to follow. Just as he told Moses and gave me the very specific commandments on how to build a tabernacle and do certain things, he has given us things for us to follow in our lives as Christians. This morning's topic is a very controversial topic. One I don't think I've ever heard from the pulpit. But it's a topic that is part of our society and needs to be spoken. And it's dealing with the topic of homosexuality. The reason I bring this particular topic up, and I mentioned a couple months ago I was wanting to talk about it in a Bible study, but I'd lost my material. Uh, I had deleted it off my computer. Well, the material came up again, and I was able to get some information. The reason I'm talking about this is, is that there was an article uh, in which the individual expressed that he is a Christian, can accept homosexuality, and that homosexuality is not condemned in the Bible. What makes this particular statement even sadder is it that this individual was a former member of this congregation and still considers him a Christian. And I felt that it was important that there be a response, and I plan to send a response to him. But this morning's lesson is in part dealing with that response and dealing with homosexuality. Homosexuality is indeed a hot topic in our today's society. We remember the battles uh, over legalization of same-sex marriages and how some people who have never been in the state of Kentucky came just so they could be married in the county in which uh, the lady, I've forgotten her name, Kim somebody, locally would not allow marriages to be uh, occur. We've heard in the news of discrimination uh, suits of people who had businesses that would not serve homosexuals. You know, cake making, we won't put 
a male and male or a female female on the cake. Um, we hear a lot about the group LB or LGBTQ, which stands for lesbian, gays, bisexual, transsexual, transsexuals, and queers, or Pink. And Pink is an organization that's more um, related to gay activity in Russia. We hear about these folks exercising their right to exist frequently quite violently. You hear about coming outs of people who are news anchors or entertainers, people that are known in society, and they come out and say, I'm gay. And then you read things about lesbian parents raising a male child and injecting that child with female hormones. And you could go on and on and on and on about the things that that you see in our society regarding homosexuality. This is not a topic that can really address adequately in just one lesson. But I hope to impart a little bit of information from the Bible on the subject and hope and encourage everyone to study on it. First thing I wanted to do is is that when you think of homosexuality, you think man on man, woman on woman. Um, God's pattern was not man on man or woman on woman. God's pattern was man and woman. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. We read that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. If God wanted an alternative lifestyle, he could have created man and man, woman and woman. So that if Adam got tired of Eve, he could go to Adama. And if Eve got tired of Adam, she'd go to Eva. But that's not what he created. He created man and woman. Look again in Genesis 3.16, passage that I quote this morning in uh, Bible study. It is to Eve, the physical woman, in verse 16, he says... To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. It is Eve that the troubles in childbirth is given, not man. As much as we have uh, progressed and advanced in medicine, it is necessary that someone from both genders uh, participate to reproduce our species. No one gender is equipped to do that. If you look in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, now the man had relations with his wife, Eva, man and woman, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Genesis 4, 1, Genesis 4, 2, verse 17, verses 19 through 22, 
verse 25, and Genesis 6, 1 through 4, all of these passages bear witness that there was a physical act between a male and a female that produced a child. No third party, whether it be a sperm bank or an adoption agency, was involved or necessary. God created them male and female. Now turn over to Genesis chapter 6 if you'd like. We read in Genesis chapter 6, in verse 5, that man had become pretty sinful. And God said, man's every intent was evil continually. And God determined to destroy all life. But in verse 6, or verse 8, excuse me, he found righteous man, and that was Noah. In verses 17 through 20, this man Noah, who found favor, was given instructions that included to populate the ark with his wife, sons and their wives, and all living flesh, male and female. I'm going to read this to you. Genesis chapter 6, verse 17 through 22. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life from under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons, male, and your sons and your wife, female, and your son's wife, female. And that every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds and after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing in the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of, the, of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him to do so. If you look in Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 through 16, and we're not going to go through all these verses, but Genesis 1, 7, 1 through 16, 8, 16 through 19, he took male and female of all kinds. For what purpose? To replenish the earth, to put life back on it. In the New Testament, we have passages that indicate male and female. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and through 33, it talks about a man and his wife. And the words here are words for female, not someone who wants to be a female or dresses like a female, but is physically a female and physically a male. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 12, which you're going to read, he gives instructions on those who want to be elders and deacons. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we read, It is a trustworthy statement if any man inspires to, aspires to the office of overseer. It is a fine work he, he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach the husband of one wife, a woman, a male 
and a female. Temperate, prudent, respectful, hospitable, able to teach. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceful, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own health, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Male and female are needed to have children. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine, or fond of sort of gold, but holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond approach. Women, likewise, must be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful to all things. Deacons must be a husband of only one wife and good managers of their children in her household. So we have that in the office of the deacons or the elders, male individuals, not people who want to be males, but male individuals. This is God's pattern, man and a woman. An argument that was raised in this particular article uses the argument, and the argument that, that the homosexual community uses is that the Bible does not specifically condemn homosexuality. It is not specifically condemned in the Bible, is what the argument is. What condemnation that may exist in the Bible is not dealing with a committed and loving relationship. There are a number of arguments that they raise from Scripture that do not, uh, which indicate or claim they say that homosexuality is not condemned. They try to explain what this away. One of them, and there's really seven arguments, but I'm only put a few down here. One of them is Paul's writings, Romans 1 and 32. And 1 Timothy 1 and 10, and 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, all of these condemn homosexuality. They bring up the point of effeminate as the word used. The explanation used in saying that this does not condemn homosexuality is that, that Paul was so learned that he invented words and that. This is not really what God said. Another ex- example and excuse that they use in claiming that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality is the Ethiopian eunuch, or the eunuch found in Acts chapter 8. They say he was gay, yet he was baptized. Because he was a eunuch does not mean he was gay. Jesus addressed that there were a number of types of eunuchs, those that were born eunuchs, those who were made eunuchs, and those who chose to be eunuchs. But in none of that does he condemn 
nor does he state that these people were homosexuals, they were gay. The third argument that they use is dealing with Sodom and Gomorrah. And as you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, God was going to destroy the cities. And he sent two angels to bring Lot out. And the two angels went into the city, and the men of the city came out, and they wanted to know them. That is, they wanted to have sex with them. The argument with the homosexuals, the argument on this particular passage, is that these cities were not condemned because of homosexuality or immorality. They were condemned because they were not showing hospitality. They were not being hospitable to the two visitors. There's an article out there that refutes all of these arguments. And that article made a good point. If you look at Jude chapter... I keep saying that. Every time I go to Jude, I keep wanting to do a chapter. There's only one chapter to Jude. In Jude, verse 7, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they indulged the same way as these in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as examples of undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. That passage there says that Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around were destroyed because of gross immorality and going after strange flesh. That refutes the argument of hospitality right then and there. What I want to concentrate a little bit of time, though, is another argument which is found in Leviticus. Open your books, if you'd like, to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 22, listing the number of things that they that God condemned and told the children of Israel they could not did not want them to do. You will not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Over in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, we read again, If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act, and they will surely be put to death, and their blood guiltness is upon them. The argument for these passages in the gay community is, is that there were two reasons why God condemned homosexuality at this time. One of the reasons is, and if you read the passages here in Leviticus, that God was trying to form a nation. And as such, he was trying to get them to follow a certain way of living and not to become like the nations around them who did human sacrifices, who worshipped idols, who committed immoral acts such as homosexuality. And so God, wanting to form a nation, did not want them to partake of the same sort of activities that these nations whom Israel was going to destroy and to possess their land were doing. The second reason was it that Israel was a nation that was being formed. Israel needed bodies. They needed male bodies. 
So it was not a good idea to spill one's seed because that did not bring babies into the world, especially male babies, to people, the armies, to fight the natives of the land. That is their argument in why homosexuality was not approved of in the Old Testament. And it did not deal with, again, a committed, loving relationship. And that's real key to them. It's a committed, loving relationship. Let's look back at Leviticus 1, uh, 18, 1 through 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to go after what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgment and keep my statutes and live in accordance with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach any blood relative of his and uncover, to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, that is, the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You are not to uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. This idea here is basically you're not going to look at the naked body of your father's wife, of your mother, and there are other ones of your brother's wife or your sister or your sister's daughter, um, and there's a long list of them. Well, what happens when, you, when one looks at someone who's naked? If it's a member of the doc, neck, opposite sex, excuse me, they're going to long and have lust after them, which eventually leads to a sexual relationship. And that's the indication here. So the argument is, is that, that what was said about homosexuality did not involve a loving relationship. Then you would have to say that in New Testament times, this times, as long as there's a, re- a loving relationship, it's okay to have a relationship with your mother, with your father's wife with your sister, with your niece or nephew or any other female. But that's not so. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is dealing with a troubled church, and there's a lot of issues he's trying to get corrected. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and a morality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus, the, the physical relationship between a man and another man, a man and someone else's wife, some other woman, is condemned. Here's the New Testament, and Paul is condemning the relationship of a man with his mother, his father's wife. Not necessarily his mother, but his father's wife. If he's condemning this 
in the New Testament, do you not think that he's also condemning all of the other immoral acts that have been condemned in the Old Testament, such as homosexuality? I think this is a message that he's trying to present to us. God's pattern was man and woman. God points out in the Bible that male and female are not just necessary to procreate, to bring other life, that there is some pleasure in the relationship. It's in there, and there's nothing wrong with it. But God condemns homosexuality. What do we do? I mean, how do we deal with it? Homosexuality is all around us. Some of us may have family members who that are gay. How do you deal with them? How do you talk to them? It's a difficult subject, especially when somebody in the family is gay and most of the family doesn't know about it and they find out a little bit about a little bit and then find out what that they are and, and have their image of the individual completely obliterated. How do you deal with it when that person is a client of yours? You have to teach freedom with respect. Because God condemns homosexuality does not give us the right or the freedom to go out and find somebody's gay and go up to them and pop them. Say, bam, you're gay. You're, you're a bad person. Or throw them off the uh, building as is done by other religions. That's not what the Bible teaches them. We need to pe- treat people such as homosexuals with love and respect. We need to be as kind to them as we are to another person. We need to open the door for them if they need the door open. There's nothing in the New Testament that I see in, in, in Matthew chapter 25 that says that if you see somebody hungry, if they're, not, if they're gay, don't feed them. You give somebody who's hungry something to eat, someone is thirsty, something to drink. You treat them with respect, but you also make it clear to them as you have the opportunity ability to study God's word with them and, and let them know that you do not approve of their lifestyle. And one of the ways you do that is if somebody who happens to be gay wants to be your friend, you need to really say, no, by being your friend, I'm accepting your lifestyle, and I cannot accept your lifestyle because it's contrary to God's word. If they are not willing to listen, they're going to have to live with their sin and they're going to have to suffer the condemnation that is in the Bible. Homosexuality is among a lot of difficult subjects that we have to deal with as Christians. It's not easy. We live in a world that says whatever you want to do, you can do. It's okay. You know, whatever makes you feel good, it's okay. But that's not God's way. And if we are Christians, more than just a label and more than just something we say, if Christianity, if God's way is the way we live our life, then we have to stand for God's 
way, and we have to state it. As difficult as it is, as many enemies that it may make, many family members and friends it may alienate, it's God's way that we must live. The gospel invitation is open to you. If you need to respond, if you've never made a commitment to God, now is the time. If you have and you've strayed, we give you an opportunity as we now sing the song of invitation. <laughs>